The quarantine streets were mostly quiet, but if you looked out your window or peered over your fence at just the right time, you might have seen a future Olympian sprinting by. We were everywhere. We were in Culver City in the neighborhoods there. We were in Palos Verdes in the neighborhoods, running hills in Palos Verdes. We were running hills in Culver City. Um, we were all over. We were we were doing warm-ups in our in the alleyway next to our apartment here downtown as well too. So it was a lot of I, I want to say improvising, but it was like a good improvising, I guess. Um, we were at a lot of parks, just you know doing you know not on the track stuff in the street. So it was it was pretty interesting and in a sense it was kind of fun because everyone at that time they were home and you know just to see you know a group of people like on your street just sprinting as fast as possible down the street multiple times I'm pretty sure that is kind of interesting and you know we got some like some people that were really fond of us and you know some other people that weren't really fond of us so I mean it was it was definitely a cool experience I mean it, it, as an athlete just not having the facilities to do what you want to do that essentially was kind of hard but you know we just made it work you know at that point you just have to work with what you have and 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 that was what we had at the time that's Rye Benjamin and this is unprecedented times we are in a war against this virus. Surge in cases over the last several weeks. Stay at home order in Los Angeles. Canceled all tournaments for the rest of the season. Pac-12 to postpone the 2020 college football season. These are unprecedented times. Episode 4, Unstructured. I'm your host, Jordan Moore. Fields, gyms, courts, tracks, and weight rooms were locked up in late March of 2020. A national shutdown had closed public places and non-essential businesses to slow the spread of COVID-19. At first, it was only going to be a few weeks. Months later, the keys were still hung up. Athletes had to find other ways to train and stay in shape without the world-class facilities they were used to. They were left to replicate their regimen with dumbbells in the living room. Farai Benjamin, now a professional sprinter after a record-setting career at USC, the streets of Los Angeles became his training ground for the Tokyo Olympics. It didn't end up happening. I'm sure you had it all mapped out and it didn't go according to plan, but what was the original plan? The original plan was to essentially, you know, start our regular season. And what that entails is that we usually travel to Europe and stay for some time there and compete all around, whether it be Italy or France or Germany or England. We just kind of bounce around and that's like, kind of our circuit that would be on the front end of the season and then towards the later end we'd go to olympic trials which were supposed to be held in oregon for i think two weeks and then from there we'd head to japan and that was kind of the uh the whole layout for the season and as you know like that just did not happen whatsoever in sports psychology, the post-Olympic year is a phenomenon that examines how athletes experience the come-down of the games, when the goal they had spent years training for has been taken away. This can be applied to what Benjamin and other Olympic athletes went through when the games were postponed. I'll let Dr. Robin Schofield, director of sports psychology for USA Athletics and former Olympic swimmer, explain it. I think, Jordan, that speaks to how intertwined 
identity is with well-being and, and, and mental health. The, the phenomenon, that post-Olympic year phenomenon is, is been well known for, for a long, long time. And there, there are lots of nuances to it. When that has been your experience of how you defined yourself, and, and that all of a sudden isn't there in the same way, it recalibrates how you hold your sport. And, and we don't talk about that. And we don't, and we don't help athletes kind of work through that openly within athletic society. It seems counterintuitive because people who are striving for that Olympic experience or that Olympic medal, everybody else thinks, oh, they're just wallowing in joy forever now, the rest of their life. And in fact, that's not necessarily the case. So having something completely, the opportunity completely removed is, is fantastic. This has been a personal issue as well as, as working to support our student athletes professionally. I mean, I was in the 1976 Olympics and then was trying out for the 1980 Olympics. And I remember this time very vividly. And when we were told we, we weren't going to be going and it definitely had a huge effect on me. You're supposed to be that upstanding, stoic, I can take anything athlete. The initial shock was hard for everyone. Businesses were boarded up, travel plans were canceled, schools were closed. For athletes, their purpose was lost. Track and field national champion Anna Cockrell describes the moment she found out coronavirus would shut down competition. I think the biggest shock was at the beginning. We were at indoor nationals. The day before the meet is supposed to start, we're going through our pre-meet. And then we get finished with the warm-up. Coach Carol calls us over and she's like, yeah, so the meet's canceled. We got to go home. So I think the biggest shock was that. And then after that, it was, it was kind of hard to be surprised after that, after you're at a meet and it gets canceled and you have to fly home that same night. Out, outdoor season getting, getting canceled, that, that was a shock. And then it was like, okay, well, the Olympics might still happen. And then it became clear that that wasn't happening. So for, the, for me, for the first time in like what, 10 years, maybe I had a summer that I had a spring and a summer that just was, wasn't scheduled. I, I wasn't going to travel anywhere. I was just at home with my parents and my sister. So in many ways it was difficult. I definitely had to like grieve the loss of the season. And I was feeling super good training wise. I, I, I was ready. I felt good physically and mentally. So there's definitely like a grieving process of, of, of I guess, dreams deferred and, and, and plans that had to be changed. I mean, this is a loss, right? It is a loss. And like any loss, you know, grief is paramount, sort of that first stage of, of mourning. When we first actually moved into this, you know, one of the things we recommend is just kind of pausing. There was a lot to do to kind of be able to continue with life and get readjusted and keep school going. But at the same time, there was this huge loss for our student athletes that was distinct to being, you know, an athlete, not just a college student. And I, I just think it was kind of surreal and shocking. This had never happened before in our history. Athletes are conditioned to crave structure. Training is about consistency and precision. And for once, their time was unstructured. Student athletes especially rely on schedules to excel in both academics and athletics. This isn't true for every sport, but many collegiate sports, our student athletes have been doing over a decade, some longer, and a lot of them 
if you ask, can you remember life before you played whatever your sport is? They will tell you they don't remember their life, their lifestyle, what life was like before they played their sport. If you think about that, you know, it is incredibly disorienting. And if you think about how old they are, right, if, if they're 20 and they've been playing over 10 years, most of them have in some capacity, it's, it's more than 50% of their life. It's, it's at a very impressionable time. And so the interruption to their annual, you know, rhythm and seasons is, is huge and, and very disorienting. The thing that's, that's so fulfilling about athletics is everything you do every day in terms of your training is, is toward a goal. So you have daily goals, you have goals around competitions, you have goals around long-term achievement. It's, it's got fulfillment built in all over the place. And all of a sudden you take that away and you go and you say, go home, go on zoom school. And by the way, create some structure because it's going to help you out structure like with what how it's it's not that you know uh, school's very important to most of our student athletes but but it's a big part of who they were and how they operated has changed senior tennis star angela kulikov shared with me the ups and downs she faced when her season was cut short and she transitioned to life at home it's gonna sound funny but there was a piece in the beginning where i almost convinced myself I was excited about it because one, I didn't think it was going to be this long. I thought it was going to be a couple months of this and life is back to normal. So I kind of got into this place where I was like, this is, this is off season. You just, and I love off season because I feel like when you're, when you're training in season or when you're in competition, you have to limit your practices because you need to be aware of your body and recovery and health. Not that that's not important in off season, but there's a little bit more wiggle room to, you know, kind of go nuts and, and be out there for an extra three, four hours that you don't have the luxury to during season because you need to be fit to compete on the weekend. I actually, in the beginning, didn't think we'd be confined to our houses. So when the courts got locked up, that made it a little trickier, but I was going as nuts as you possibly can within the constraints of your own house. So I was lifting whatever heavy object I could find. I was trying to do like 10 yard shuttle sprints within the 10 yards I had in my backyard. I was doing whatever I could thinking, okay, well, no one else is working during this time and I'm going to work and I'm going to separate myself from everyone. And then interestingly enough, after a while, when things did not start to open, that did finally start to fade. There was, I remember a couple of weeks where I was still doing a little bit of work, but I, the motivation and that excitement that I'm used to always having was gone. And that was one of the first times I've really experienced that and was definitely very difficult for me. In hindsight, Kulikov realizes that she lost motivation because there was nothing to chase and her structure fell apart. But like everyone else, she had to adjust in quarantine. I didn't play tennis or like really did the just stay in my living room thing for about two, three weeks and then couldn't handle it anymore. So as soon as the local park, they didn't open or the tennis courts didn't open, but there was a wall. And I found out because the wall wasn't really attached to the playground, I could use the wall. So I started a couple hours a day just so I could feel like I was doing some, <laughs> some form of training and getting better in some way, even though the wall is very limiting. So I rode that out for as long as I could. And then eventually we got more desperate. You know, um, one of my teammates, Aaron had a family friend who happened to have a private court that was an hour and a half away from where I lived. And then obviously, because we're still in Zoom classes, it's not like we had all day and could just hang out there. So there was this really small block super early in the morning 
I think it was like 6 a.m. that we could do, you know, and she would actually, it was far for her as well. We'd both drive about 90 minutes there for a 90 minute hit and then 90 minutes back. So we're talking three hours of driving for a very, you know, a hit that's half the amount of time. But it just was one of those things where even to get that small glimpse of, of normalcy and what we're so used to and, and just getting to train and, and play made that worth it. So it was just about finding those, those small moments where you could just feel feel like yourself a little bit and finding them wherever you could. Yeah. Is it hard for you to feel like yourself without competition, without activity? Because just knowing what I know about you, I mean, it's not even just tennis. You just seem like somebody that has welcomed competition athletically for probably your whole life. You know, how, how hard was it to, to turn that off for a stretch? It was tricky. I mean, honestly, for me, it was less about competition and it was more, I think, you know, I, I just feel like a big part of my identity, I guess, is in just constant personal development and growth. So that was that piece I was telling you were feeling like I wasn't able to get better as I was confined to my living room. So I could, you know, try and work out in my living room and feel like, okay, I got better in some aspect today. But I think as time went on, I did start to see the benefit and start to realize that there were maybe not athletic, but other personal improvements that, that were coming through. But it, it was more, it was more that piece of feeling like, I'm, I'm being stalled right now. I'm in this like buffering period where I can't go get better when I'm, you know, so used to that being what makes me me is that I'm, I'm constantly improving and I'm constantly working. Like many athletes, Kulikov went through a sort of identity crisis without tennis vitalizing her everyday routine. Athletes had to look for other ways to stay motivated. For USC football wide receiver Amon Ross St. Brown, it required a change of mindset to fuel his competitiveness. I feel like some people might have said, or thought to themselves, oh, they have all the time in the world to, to train, so they might take some time off. But my mindset was, you know, this is the time to actually get a step ahead and get and get in front of people that don't want to work because the guys that are thinking that do have all the time in the world, this is my time to, to work harder than them, and when they're not working, get my extra work in. So that's the way I looked at it. That was the time for me to just push even harder in, that, in those tough times because, like I said, there's guys out there that were thinking, you know, oh, we might not have a season. So, you know, I'll just, I'll train in a few months. So that was my mindset. But that motivation can disappear like it did for Angela. At the time, she didn't know why, but it's disorienting for athletes to improve their craft without a vivid goal in sight. That fervent desire to get better every day is an identity piece. When it was stripped, it left her deserted. What lifted you out of that? Talking to people about it, sharing with friends that I'm close to speaking with Dylan, who's our sports psych that I've worked with all four years, actually, of college, eventually reframing it to where I, I decided that there is important things I'm learning about myself within that. And I think this is such a big athlete psychology conversation where, you know, athletes always tend to have that issue where they just see themselves as players or participants of their sport. So as difficult as it was, it did force me to kind of have these conversations with myself, I guess, and, and start to search for answers to what else am I without my sport? Because for all of us, there is an end to it. So it was as difficult as it was, I think it was a very important piece for my personal development to to kind of face that and find answers or, or start looking for answers to those questions. What Angela just described is a common problem, and the athletic department was prepared for student athletes to struggle with the void left by a canceled season. At first, attention was turned toward the athlete's physical state, how to keep them healthy and COVID-free. But once it became clear that sports would be postponed, the conversation shifted to equally prioritize mental well-being. USC Athletic Director Mike Bone encouraged his head coaches to regularly check up on their student-athletes, and the athletic department made sports psychologists virtually available. 
The Trojan Athletic Senate, which is a representative committee of student-athletes that acts as a liaison between the department and the athletes, communicated with administration about what they were collectively experiencing so the staff could help guide athletes through the mental adversity. Their support system also included fellow teammates who endured the same struggles. Rye Benjamin relied on roommate, professional sprinter, and former USC teammate Michael Norman. Thankfully, I have Michael, another USC alum, you know, just to keep me on track. And I think we definitely push each other. And I know if he's good, I'm good. And if I know I'm good, he's good as well, too. And it's kind of like, you know, iron sharpens iron situation here where we just push each other, you know, further than, I mean, every single year we just really up the bar. I mean, it's, it's definitely a good thing to have him here. Both Rye and Michael are training for Tokyo 2021. There's no headspace to contemplate the possibility of another postponement or even worse, cancellation. Anna Cockrell expressed a similar mindset. I think I'm just going to train hard. <laughs> I'm going to train like it's like it's going to happen. Um, I think the moment you start assuming, oh, it, it might not happen or questioning, you don't want to be caught off guard. I don't, I don't want to be caught unprepared. So I'm, I'm going to train with the goal in mind, with the national championship in mind, with the Olympics in mind, and just still be flexible. You know, things are going to be different this year. We are still waiting to find out, like, what, what's our practice block going to look like? When are we going to work out? We're, we're not going to be able to all pile on the bus and go to the hill on Wednesdays like we did every other year that I was here. So I, I'm still going to train hard and with the same mentality of, you know, I have dreams, I have goals that I'm trying to reach, but just knowing that I have to be flexible. Things are going to be different, and there are, there are many factors that are out of my control. But, you know, what I can control is my attitude and my work ethic. And I'm going to do everything in my power to keep my attitude as positive as possible and to work hard and just kind of flow with the changes as they happen and, and be adaptable. I think that's the name of the game here. That, that's going to be who wins nationals, who goes to the Olympics. It's going to be who's the most flexible, who's, who's the most able to train through the adversity, to get through the adversity, not only physically, but mentally as well. So that's, that's the mindset I'm bringing in. I know that's where Coach Carroll stands, because that's what she was saying to us at Indoor Nationals, even knowing that that meet had a high chance of getting canceled. We were still out there getting ready for pre-meet, getting psyched up, like the meet was really happening. So I think we have to take that same mentality into this fall. The things that are out of our control, we'll address them when we get there. Some semblance of routine has returned for USC football, which will begin its seven-game season on November 7th in an empty coliseum. Meanwhile, other sports like tennis still don't have access to their facilities on campus. USC Athletics Chief of Staff, Brandon Sosna. To be candid, that's really the hardest part in this process is I think about our spring sport athletes and our coaches and those programs to have their championships canceled. And we had some teams in the spring that were going to compete for national championships. So to lose that season... And now to be in a situation where we currently don't have any spring sports that have returned to campus, the inability to be able to produce that for, for those athletes, it keeps us up at night. That's a really difficult component of, of where we are right now. But, uh, you know, we've talked a lot about this internally within our department. There's no sense of fairness, unfortunately, in this process and in operating an athletic department in a COVID-19 environment. We've seen what's happening at schools around the country with layoffs and furloughs and salary reductions and elimination of sport programs. And so we're very grateful here for the support that we have received and, and the way that we've been able to preserve our department through a once in a generation crisis. At the same time, like I said earlier, 
the county has said that student athletes can live on campus, but the general student can't. And so there's a lot of unfairness and a lot of imbalance that's not the fault of anybody. That's just simply a reality of this environment. And so we're, we're working on our plan all the time. But I think the reality is that one of the factors that has led us to be so successful in our return to campus plan so far is that we have been very disciplined about not overwhelming our capacity to manage the athletes and programs that we have in our facilities, working out, training. We've been able to keep it a clean environment. We've not had to overwhelm our athletic medicine staff, our medical staff, our testing personnel. And so that ultimately is a factor. We also know that the spring sports season is coming and we're going to be prepared for that. And if the Pac-12 is playing, our programs will be competing. And so it's just a process and we'll, we'll get there. But it's obviously very disappointing that we can't have all 21 sports and all 600 of our student athletes back on campus, back on the practice field, back in the weight room. It's just simply not a position that we're in right now, but something that we're working on every single day. With the unknown constantly looming, athletes are forced to test their mental toughness. They've proven they are a match for the unprecedented, but 2020 continues to be a long and relentless battle. On the next episode of Unprecedented Times, at long last, USC football gets the call. It's time to play ball. Unprecedented Times is hosted by me, Jordan Moore. The show is produced by Rich Rodriguez and Laura Wells, with writing assistance from Rebecca Tapinas. Thank you as well to Shayna Kobernitz. And thank you to 